Welcome to Courtright. I want to add my word of welcome to what Allison said at the beginning. My name is Alex. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're visiting or if you've just been checking us out for a few weeks, we hope that you will feel a warm welcome. We have been hearing some stories from our church community. Last Sunday, uh, Robin Fletcher told us her story of struggling with hearing disability and deafness. If you weren't here last Sunday, I really encourage you to listen to the recording of that online because it was amazing, encouraging. Um, and we wanted to start the new year off with stories from the road, as it were, within our church community as we bear with one another, as we encourage each other. And today we're continuing in that vein. And it's a pleasure to introduce Jordan Pinches and Crystal Wiley as they come up today to tell their story. So good morning. Good morning, everybody. So Jordan, can you tell me what's been been happening in your life this past year? Uh, yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, but I'll need to go a bit further back than just a year, actually. Um, so I had been working for the, uh, the past several years with a small consulting firm um, that helps organizations to figure out what their purpose is and then uh, to design the strategy around going after that. Um, and also, at the same time, co-writing a book about some of those same themes. Um, and that assignment actually finished up last fall. Uh, it's the fall of 2017. Um, and then obviously began a more intense period of looking for my next paying job. Um, and I had some hopes about that. Um, I wanted to work with a strong team, with a uh, great manager who I could learn a lot from, um, and with a company that was really serious about um, using business as a tool to, to benefit society and, and our community um, and to be more responsible in the way that they, they acted. Um, and ultimately, as well, I was trying to pivot uh, kind of out of this role as a consultant alongside organizations actually in, to go inside of one um, in a more operational and strategic role in a company. Um, and also with background that was kind of atypical. Uh, so I have a degree in history and theology and international development um, and experience in writing and communication, not your typical profile um, of somebody necessarily who's working in business. Um, so, so yeah. So how did it go? Uh, it ended up being really difficult, actually. Um, and some of that difficulty I can explain for some of the reasons that I just shared. Um, but a lot of it was... Uh, stuff that I can't really explain. I had so many conversations with people uh, over really the last year and a half um, saying like, oh, you know, we can, we can really see how you might be a great fit here, but uh, we just hired somebody. Or, uh, yeah, we can, we can see. Let's like, come back to us in six months or eight months, and, and then we can maybe re- pick up this conversation again. Um, so all, like, and I met with, Hundreds of people uh, had hundreds of conversations uh, around this stuff, and it, it just seemed like the same kind of things uh, kept coming out. Um, so picture like a year, year and a half of that, that kind of experience. And naturally the questions start to creep in about um, who am I? <laughs> um, but then, as you know, just before Christmas uh, this year, I had the great news after two months of interviews for a role that was really exciting um, that I got offered a job. Um, and it's with a great manager, with an amazing team, with just the kind of company that I was hoping to work with. Um, so that's pretty exciting. It's very exciting. 
we're so happy about that. Is that the end of the story? Uh, well, more? yeah, so that's actually only the small story, um, me getting this job. Uh, and it is wonderful. But the bigger story here is that um, there were lots of really difficult and confusing things about this journey. Um, but in the end, it's been really a time of learning uh, and receiving other valuable gifts, um, and especially gifts around gratitude and community. And, and what I mean by community is really being in relationships and being able to be really known. Um, so. so it's a hard time. Why, why gratitude? Um, it was really a tough season, no doubt. Um, and at the same time, it really felt like God was impressing on me and upon us that we actually had so much provided for us. There, was, there were amazing ways of, uh, of God's provision in our lives. Um, we had a great house. We had some crazy financial stuff come through for us that we weren't expecting. We received some money from, uh, from family members. We had um, all these amazing things. Allison had been in a period of being kind of unsettled for a while and actually was in a really great space um, work-wise. And um, so there were so many things that actually were figured out um, in our lives that we needed to be grateful for. Um, so, yeah. So you also mentioned community relationships and being truly known that was something we were able to see a bit more up close right well uh, you just provided an opportunity for me to flip this upside down and ask you the questions um so what uh what was it that kind of helped you to know or how did you come to know what we were going through so i don't actually recall when i knew that you were looking for work when i first learned that but um i knew that you were looking for work even as you were working on the book I knew that you were looking forward to what God had for you next. But I recall a conversation that I had with Allison one day after church when I realized that um, you were both really struggling and waiting on God had been and was emotionally and financially and especially spiritually really hard. Yeah, and um, that's totally true. I remember that conversation too. Um, But... We knew each other at that point, and there was friendship there amongst us and amongst our families, but it wasn't in any way the kind of depth of friendship that exists now. What kind of prompted you to do something more? So first and foremost, I would say, was the Holy Spirit. But you and Allison and Zoe, very Zoe, um, are part of our community. You're our family. And Galatians 6.2 tells us, that being Christians, we are commanded to come alongside one another, to carry each other's burdens. Andrew, my husband and I, and all those that you and Allison have allowed to walk this road with you, made a covenant with God to care for you as our fellow Christians. But there's more than that. Something you'd spoken about already is that God uses all circumstances for his purposes and our growth. Nothing is wasted. When I heard from Allison about what was happening for you, it took me back about 10 years. And Andrew's in my life. When our Jonathan was three and we were expecting our William. And time, a time before we'd been here, we were here at KPC. Within months of us moving to Guelph, Andrew was starting a new job. He was unexpectedly laid off. And we spent the next two years waiting for what God had next. It was scary and lonely, 
and difficult, especially for Andrew. God used this experience for us to hear and to know more deeply what might be going on for you and for Allison and for Zoe. Well, I can say that I'm grateful that you <laughs> allowed God to, <laughs> to use that experience. Um, and also for the chance uh, and the experience of having community and people uh, choose to come alongside me so closely and, and alongside us. Um, and actually that was uh, even looking back the most enduring and memorable part of, of that whole experience of, of this kind of journey of uh, getting to a new job. Uh, for me, it was actually really a profound experience of being known um, and truly cared for. Um, there were so many times when during that period it was tempting to tie my own uh, value or identity to the rejections and the questions that, that I kept, experience and kept experiencing and the confusion that all that was. Um, questions like, you know, do I have value to add? Like, what, what, what am I missing here? Um, am I chasing something that's not there? Should I be, you know, doing something different? Um, and all those kinds of questions. Um, but it was really essential, actually, that I had people uh, around me who could help me to remember who I am um, and to reflect reality and really the truth back to me in the midst of all that kind of distortion. Um, and so many people, many from Courtright, actually had uh, amazing things to offer me, ideas, words of encouragement, connections to new people to meet, um, prayer. There were, uh, I'm not kidding, there were hundreds of people praying about this and for us. Um, companionship, financial support, um, like the list could go on and on. Um, and it felt like, and especially looking back, it really felt like there I was kind of like the paralytic in this story um, in the Gospels where the friends were bringing me to Jesus and kind of lowering me through the roof. Um, and that was just a really profound experience. So. so even while God had you and Allison on this difficult road, in the midst of that, Andrew and I and those who've walked more closely with you had the privilege of witnessing God at work. We didn't know you well when this started, but yours and Allison's decision to be vulnerable with us allowed God to fulfill his purposes in so many more ways than you getting a job. God used your situation and your decisions to allow community in to grow all of us more deeply into who God calls us to be as Christians. We, and more significantly for Andrew and I, our children had front row seats to witness God at work and how he can and he does provide. I recall one evening in particular where a group of us gathered to worship together and pray with and for you. The Holy Spirit was so evidently in our home that night, and our children were given the opportunity to witness how being Christians together should happen and how to carry each other's burdens. And allowing yourselves to be open you allowed us, our community, to be blessed. We each grew in knowing Christ better and were able to celebrate the good news of your new job in, so, in a much deeper way. This was and continues to be a gift to Andrew and I, to our children and to the rest of those who have been with you along this path. Well, it's certainly been a gift to Allison and I too, obviously. <laughs> um, and, I mean, that's what's kind of interesting about this is 
it's actually there's been gift in it for all of us um, and so many. And there was a cool illustration of that actually just yesterday um, where we were starting to work on this and figure out what, what the story was to share. Um, and I was kind of feeling stuck and not sure where to go with it. Um, and so then you, uh, actually, I knew you were thinking about this and, uh, and praying about it too, and, and we were going to chat a bit later, and you sent me an email uh, in the morning that, that actually had a verse of the day. Um, so maybe you can share that with sure. everybody. So this is the verse that came to my inbox. Psalm 130, verse 5, and this is from the message. I pray to God, my life a prayer, and wait for what he will say and do. My life's on the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching till morning, waiting and watching till morning. And that was another really cool experience because that actually sort of captures uh, the attitude that I was hoping to have um, during this journey. I didn't always have it. Um, But it also captures the same attitude that I hope to have now that I do have a job. (laughs) Um, And so that kind of watching and waiting um, is much better in community. (laughs) So what I'm hearing is this. Although it's really, really great news that you're employed. And a clear answer to thousands of prayers, it's a much bigger story. It's a story about how how all our experiences, both the ups and the downs, have value if we're seeking God in the midst of them. It's about how we receive so much more as we come alongside one another and allow ourselves to be known and to rely on each other. It's about the joy and the reward of being in community with God's people here on earth together. Thanks. God is good. I love that story. Um, I I love to hear how God has been faithful to us individually within our church community. And I also... Church should be a place where friendship flourishes, right? When I hear stories of friendship in Christ, um, it thrills me. I hope you've experienced that at Core Right. And, and if you haven't, I hope that you will lean into that, that you're open to that this new year. Um, because one of the big ways that God conveys to us his blessing and his calling is in the good times and the bad, maybe especially in the bad, um, as other people come alongside us and as we, as we grow together. Um, so thank you, Jordan and Crystal, for, for sharing that. Um, Over the next five Sundays, we're going to be talking a lot about calling. And and so um, what we just heard sets us up really nicely for a new sermon series in the book of Jonah. What is God calling you to right now in your life? If I gave you a piece of paper and a pen and said, take five minutes and, and write down your sense of calling, what would you come up with? 
What are you feeling passionate about? Um, What's new? Would you say that you are open to what God could do? Are you listening? Are we listening as a church? These are all questions that we're going to ponder. And then we'll ask ourselves, how are we responding, both individually and as courtright? Jonah is an amazing book in general, but it's also a great start to a new year because it raises all the key questions about who God is and whether we trust him and how he is inviting us into the change he's making in the world. I think all of us want to be part of seeing the world change, seeing our own life and the lives of those in our family, our friends, change for the better. But sometimes we have trouble getting off the couch to do that, right? And so Jonah is a word from God that summons us to be alert to the Holy Spirit, to act, to step out in faith. We often say that God has a plan, God has a purpose. And I totally believe that, but it doesn't necessarily happen as we might have drawn it up. And that is so true for Jonah. So today we get what is really an introduction to this amazing little book in the Old Testament with its four short chapters. And we're going to start this morning just by reading the first three verses of Jonah. But before we do that, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it does not remain in isolation. As we saw last Sunday when the Magi came from the east, their word pointed them, your word pointed them to Bethlehem, but they had to go and it had to be Christ, the presence of Jesus, that made the difference. So as we come today to your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would point us to Jesus, that you would fill us with a vision of him, captivate us by the goodness of who he is, by his truth, his grace, his beauty, and then send us out. So give us ears to hear what you would say to us today, we pray. Amen. So we're reading Jonah 1, verses 1 to 3. And, and some of you have brought your own Bible. How long would you say it would take you if you had a physical Bible to find the book of Jonah? Could you do it in 10 seconds? Oh, some of you could. That's, that's real bravado there. Yeah. Maybe it would take you a minute. It's, it's a minor prophet. It's, it's pretty skinny little book. So um, something worth doing this week. I'm going to encourage you to read the whole book of Jonah at home on your own. Um, is not just to look at it on the computer, but to pick up a Bible and see if you can find it in there. So starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I love my mother-in-law. She's an amazing woman. 
over the years, she has blessed Judith and me and our kids like I wouldn't have imagined when I started dating Judith and eventually married her. Nana was visiting recently. She lives in Newmarket. She, she was coming, passing through Guelph. She didn't stay with us. And she left us a bag of cookies. And she does this kind of thing. She's often bringing us gifts. And, and Nana's cookies are amazing. Just imagine the best home-baked cookies. So I opened the bag, and I was surprised to find in the bag about 20 or 30 old Chinese fortune cookies. These were not Nana's home-baked cookies. I don't really like fortune cookies. I don't know how you feel about them. They, they have that kind of stale, cardboardy taste, sugary, nasty. One of my kids, however, seems to appreciate them a lot more because at some point during the week, uh, a bunch of wrappers and fortunes appeared on a counter. About 20 cookies had been consumed overnight. And I, I won't say which of my children it was, but this particular child of mine had gone through a ton of fortune cookies, but they, gender neutral, they had not even read the fortunes. And are you even allowed to do that? Can you eat a fortune cookie without reading the fortune? I don't think so. Now, I don't consider myself to be an especially superstitious person, but I confess that even though I hate eating fortune cookies, I can't resist reading the fortune itself. Now, you understand mostly this is research for sermon illustrations. <laughs> but, but I think also we are drawn to the message, right? We wonder, what will it say? Will it be relevant to me? Will it be helpful? Will it be dumb? Mostly, what I found as I went through these leftover fortunes was that there are a lot of compliments telling us what we want to hear. You are optimistic and wise, one of them said. You have common sense and a lot of charm, said another. <laughs> then there was advice, also a good number of those. Listen attentively, said the fortune. You will come out ahead. Or time heals all wounds. Keep your chin up. One of my favorites announced that many receive advice, presumably from fortune cookies, but few profit by it. Well, that's the truth. I came up with a few other examples online of fortune cookies that are pretty outstanding, I think. We've got those on slides for you. You are the crispy noodle in the vegetarian salad of life. <laughs> what a word of affirmation, wouldn't you say? Or this one, as long as you don't sign up for anything new, you'll do fine. That's my kind of New Year's encouragement. And this is my favorite. Plan to be spontaneous tomorrow. <laughs> Among these fortunes that were left over, one stood out for me. It said, you will be wealthy and comfortable in your old age. Now that might not sound especially original. It's not really humorous. Kind of boring, but if you're the creative director of a fortune cookie company, it's a real winner. It's a winner because it's the North American dream, right? To be wealthy and comfortable in your old age. 
isn't that the message of our culture, that you should live for that? What we're going to see in Jonah is that God has something much bigger and better in store for us than that. That God takes our vision of what our future could be, whatever we see as being a good future for us, whatever we're working for, and expands it beyond the really the low expectations that we may have set for ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean that God's going to send us somewhere where we will be miserable. It doesn't mean that we'll never get to go to Florida for the winter in our old age. But God's call always takes us on an unpredictable adventure. It always depends on God's purposes because God's ways are higher than our ways. God knows what we don't know. He sees what we can't see. And so God's call turns us away from self-interest. It turns us away from self-determination, from the plan we may have set for ourselves, and sets us on a new course. If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to obey God's will, then we have to listen for his call. And when we hear it, we need to respond to it. But here, in what we've read from the book of Jonah... Jonah does the opposite. I love how honest this story is. I love the way it gets right to the heart of our problems. We read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but Jonah ran away. I think all of us can relate to that. Now, why in Jonah's case does he respond that way? Well, to answer that, you have to know something about Nineveh this great city where God sent Jonah to preach against its wickedness. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The prophet Nahum, if you flip ahead a few pages in the Old Testament, you can read where he calls Nineveh, Nahum calls Nineveh a city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. And we know not just from scripture, but also from the historical record, that the Assyrians were brutal. They were cruel and they were powerful. When Assyrians took prisoners of war in the many campaigns they mounted to expand their empire, they would cut off both of the legs of these prisoners and one arm. They would leave one arm intact so that as their prisoners bled out and died, they could shake their hand and congratulate them, mock them for their failure. At this point, Assyria was Israel's most fearsome enemy. And Israel had to pay tribute to Assyria to keep uh, from being invaded. Years later, Nineveh and Assyria would be responsible for the outright extermination of the northern kingdom of Israel, which consisted of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. So Assyrian armies would eventually wipe the northern kingdom, a majority of the Jewish people, from the face of the earth. So you get the idea that... This was a difficult assignment that Jonah must have been horrified when he got this word from God. And can we really blame him for wanting to run in the opposite direction? He felt, he must have felt that God had given him an impossible and an unreasonable mission. God was asking him to preach the gospel to the sworn enemies of Israel, people who he, I'm sure, was certain wouldn't listen to him, and if he opened his mouth, would probably kill him. And yet, 
Despite all of that, God was sending Jonah to Nineveh, and it's clear that God was ready to have mercy on that wicked city. Why would God do that? Why would God consider helping the enemies of his own people? And why would he send Jonah, son of Amittai, in particular? Because something else you need to know as background to this book is that Jonah was famous. Jonah was a prophet. But unlike most of the prophets, say Hosea or Amos, who criticized the powers that be, who went to the king and spoke truth to power, Jonah had been a strong supporter of the status quo. And in particular, of the king, for most of Jonah's life, king of it, the king of Israel, Jeroboam II. Now we're going to look at a map here to give you a sense of what Israel was like at this time. And you can see there were two kingdoms. So the kingdom of Israel and Judah. Judah was two of the twelve tribes of Israel. Israel was ten of the twelve tribes. And under Jeroboam II, from 785 to 745 BC, the borders of the two kingdoms expanded. So Israel prospered and grew and took over neighboring kingdoms. But Jeroboam II was not a good king. His heart was corrupt and he led Israel astray internally. And you can see just up above the kingdom of Damascus, uh, which Israel took over the Assyrian Empire, and well beyond it, the capital city of Nineveh. So Israel was prospering on the outside, but not listening to God. And so Jonah was a part of that because he was the patriotic prophet. He was the nationalist who hated the enemies of Israel. He made no sense as someone to send to Nineveh. And that's why Jonah goes in the opposite direction. Tarshish was about as far as you could get from Nineveh. Nineveh. It was the end of the known world. Here we kind of pan out. For those of you who know your Middle Eastern geography, the former map was right about here. And Gath Hefer was where Jonah was from. Instead of going to Nineveh, up to the northeast, he heads to Joppa, today the city of Tel Aviv, the old city of Jaffa, also known as Joppa, to catch a ship to go west to Tarshish. At that time, the end of the known world in what today is Spain. So he was going as far away as he could from what God had called him to. But as we see next week, God does not give up on Jonah in spite of this. As we start this study of Jonah... Through its pages, we see God's love for those who are outside of the community of believers. That is one of the most central themes of this book. So the reason that God sends Jonah to Nineveh is because Nineveh needed to hear the truth and learn of the grace of the God of Israel. We see in Jonah that God is hospitable like no one else ever has been. God can't stand racism. God cannot abide the way that we put ourselves above others, even unconsciously, because of our background, because of our skills, because of our resume, because of our heritage. 
He doesn't want us to remain at a distance from people who are not like us. God is forever breaking down those walls, those barriers, and he's changing us, we who are more likely to want to be among those who are similar in comfortable places, and maybe the church is a comfortable place like that. He's changing us into bridge builders. He's making us into peacemakers. That is the call to adventure we get from the God we worship. Are we prepared to listen when he sends us in a direction that is difficult? When he brings experiences into our lives that are hard? When things don't make sense? When you can't find that job? When your plan to study something or to be successful in some endeavor is, is not working out. On Friday, I met with a group of pastors for a, a, a one-day gathering considering the future of the church in Guelph. And, you know, we shared our stories of our own congregation and we were really asking ourselves over the course of that day, how can we be more open to what God might want to do? And particularly, how can we work together? Because if you've been around churches, you know that we get pretty focused on our own things. And then that's only natural. But sometimes we maybe get in the way of what God wants to do within the body of Christ, united. We end up separated And even though our separate denominations and congregations are are necessary, uh, we, I think, do well to listen to God's call to share the resources we've been given. And so someone asked as part of that day, as as we wondered, what's the new thing that God could do with the church in Guelph? And, And as particularly as some congregations are struggling, um, how how can those of us who have more resources reach out to those who are struggling? Someone said, someone asked this question that, that really stuck with me, which was, what, how would you respond if God was asking you to give up your building? Now, we know the church is not the building, right? Like sometimes we talk about going to church, the building, but we know that, that the church is the body of Christ, the people that God has gathered um, and where the Holy Spirit resides, uniting us, sending us out in mission, pointing us to Jesus. But we love our buildings. We rely on our buildings. They are a gift from God to us. But what if God said, you need to leave your building? Because one of the things we were considering on Friday was that There are, in particular in downtown Guelph, these historic church buildings that are incredibly expensive. And in some cases, there aren't that many people worshipping in them. And it struck me that that I wasn't sure I was open to that. And and it's funny because earlier in the day, I had told the story of Corwright. And as some of you know, we have a history of leaving buildings. Some churches just have stayed in one building forever. And yeah, you, you might need a ton of explosives to dislodge that commitment. 
But Corewright has been on a journey since we were founded in 1980. We started, anyone know where we started? Our first building? Right here. When this was an elementary school, we worshipped in the gym. And then about a year later, we moved on to Centennial High School. We outgrew the gym here at University Village Public School. And then not too long after that, a year or two, you can tell me if you know, we purchased a property on Scottsdale at Courtright, hence our name, Courtright. Uh, and we built a facility that today is Hospice Wellington, and we were in that building for a lot of years. And in 2005, we came here. The school had closed, and we, we bought it. We had outgrown that building. So we have a history of moving places. But for me, that question of would you give something up, would you leave and go somewhere new, even if it didn't make sense, even if it wasn't to your advantage, was provocative. Why would God ask us to leave what's comfortable, what's familiar? He does that in order to bless us. He does that because his purposes are better than what we can imagine. Now, we may find it hard to relate to what Jonah was going through because of the historical reality of of Nineveh, and it's a very different place than we're in. But I think all of us can relate to running away from God. And so what I, want to, what I want to ask you to consider as we go through this series is just how open you are to God doing something new among us and in your life this new year. First of all, I want to encourage you to read Jonah. I've already said that. Pick up a Bible or go online and read the four chapters of this short book. Last week I talked about how the best New Year's resolution you could make in 2019 is to uh, recommit yourself to reading the Bible every day. I ordered some devotional guides from Scripture Union, and I see the 9 a.m. service took most of them, but uh, there are a few left at the, at the front here. And, and one, of, one, of my, one of the ways I'm changing my habits in this new year is that instead of relying on You heard Crystal refer to it earlier, an email devotional, uh, because I was struggling with my laptop. And as soon as I get on my laptop, I see all these emails come in from some of you and and I get distracted by that. And so this year, um, my resolution is to use a hard copy devotional like like this. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to do something like that or if you prefer to go online. But after the service, I'd encourage you to come up and take one of these if this is something you'd like to try. Or you can go online to the Scripture Union website, and I think we have the address there and maybe even the actual website. And if you click on Bible in the top left-hand corner there, you can sign up and then down to Digital Bible, you can sign up for an email devotional. Because as we read God's word, we are invited into the story of his grace, his love for us, his pursuit of us in the world. And it's a story that informs who we are and what we do. 
It's a story that reassures us that God has the best in mind for us. As you read Jonah, put yourself in Jonah's shoes. Ask, how are you running from God right now? And what is the message that he has for you that you've maybe tuned out, that you need to hear maybe for the first time? The promise of calling does not mean that God sends us to a place where we're going to be miserable. I think sometimes I talk to people and they feel like they, if they're going to respond to God's call, it's going to be hard, it's going to be terrible. Um, now, we're going to see that Jonah had some struggles along the way, but the promise of God's calling is a promise of fulfillment for us. Here's another way to think of calling. I, I played basketball in high school, and one of the most frustrating things about any sport is uh, let's take basketball as an example. When someone passes to you, if the pass is behind you or if it's too far ahead of you, then you can't fulfill your purpose, which is a slam dunk, clearly, right? Last night in the Leafs game, there was a moment when John Tavares uh, exited the penalty box and was going to be in on a breakaway. But I forget if the pass was too far ahead or too far back, but... I felt the pain. I, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you were there. It didn't work out. He ended up in the corner. He was in alone on Tuka Rask. Oh, don't get me started on Tuka Rask. Um, God wants us to experience his call as the perfect pass, the perfect connection that leads us up the court. That is our destiny, is to be in full flight is to be moving according to God's rhythm. It's to be seeking his will, which brings blessing to us and to the world. It's not always easy. I've, I've watched my son Callum play volleyball over the years, and, and he gets better and better. The reason he gets better and better, and yes, this is a sports analogy with basketball, hockey, and volleyball. Wow, that's, that's a, unprecedented. As Callum's gotten better and better, he has only gotten better through practice. So there's a discipline in our lives that enables us to fulfill God's calling. It won't be easy. It won't be easy maybe some mornings to spend time with God, to pray and to read his word. It isn't easy to serve others, to bear with others in the discipline of Christian community. But God promises that as we do that, we find our fulfillment and we feel his pleasure in us. Whatever Nineveh you're facing in your life, whatever insurmountable obstacle is before you, whether it's a situation in your family where things are falling apart or there's brokenness, whether it's for you a challenge with work, maybe finding who you are in retirement, maybe it's in your studies, trying to figure out what does God want me to specialize in and, and how does this translate into a job for me? What is God calling me to? Or it may be something that you face right now in terms of adversity, sickness in your family, whatever it is that you're facing that seems impossible. The message of Jonah is that God is with us through it. And the picture I want you to have as you leave today is all of us are prodigals like Jonah. All of us, none of us can read this story and say, no, I never, I never ran away. I never went the opposite direction. I listened to God. 
all of us are runaways, but whether it's in this story or stories that Jesus tells in the New Testament, we see that God never stops pursuing us. God never gives up on us. And we see that most of all in his son, that Jesus went the distance for us, that he gave his life at the cross for us. And he did that in order to deal with our rebellion, with our sin, with all human wickedness. He has done the work. Sometimes we feel like it's on us to do the work. But no, Jesus says it is finished. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit to bring us together into the community of the church and to guide us home. And so the Father is waiting for us at the end of this story, this story that starts off with a message from God and rebellion. And he rushes out to greet us. You are loved and you are accepted by God in Jesus Christ. And as you look ahead to this new year, I hope that you feel the promise of that in your life. That what God has in store for you is something good, is to be in a place where you feel his pleasure and his fulfillment. So let's pray and ask God to be with us through that. Lord, we thank you that that, uh, you do not abandon us to our own purposes, that the plans we have for ourselves um, may work out, may not, but that through that, your purposes run deeper and are wider and broader than we know. And so I pray that, that, Holy Spirit, that you would point us to our North Star this new year. Point us to Christ. Root us in his word. Give us dreams and visions of what we could do with the talents we have. Maybe it's business. Maybe it's in the arts, in theater. Maybe it's in our studies at the university or in college, starting a new company. Whatever it is that you've given us, the job you've given us, the role you've given us in retirement, the way you've called us to care for people as a kind of work, I pray that you would show us your purposes for this coming year and for our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.